Alright guys, I wanted to talk tonight about encounters with Jesus. This is like the second week in a row that I had something totally different planned, totally different, all these notes ready to go. And yesterday morning, Aaron and I were just talking after our quiet time, and I was reading in John 1. And I read a verse that I'll read in a minute. It was really exciting, and it just totally shocked me the way people saw Jesus, the way they viewed him. See, a lot of times we've just grown up with him being like some religious figure, or maybe uh, something having to do with church, or some picture that you'd see of some guy in a white robe with long hair and all this stuff like that. And we just kind of get this this weird image of Christ, and we, we forget how powerful a human being and God at the same time he really was. And I started thinking, it was amazing to see in the scripture what people said about Jesus, and what how they reacted to having an account an encounter with Jesus himself. So I want to just read through a lot of verses. There are going to be a lot of verses tonight, so just bear with me, but it will be short. I just want you to be able to see in their own words how they responded to seeing Jesus himself. So let's, let's get started on that. Right off, right when he was first born, there are several wise men. Typically we, we know it as three wise men, but the Bible doesn't really tell us a number. But they, they came to Jesus as he's firstborn. They entered the house where the child and his mother Mary were, and they fell down before him and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So imagine that the first second you're on this planet, the first day you're on this planet, you have very highly influential people. These guys are probably leaders of possibly entire regions of the planet. That's what a lot of people believe. And they were obviously very wealthy. They made this huge journey and came and worshipped him and gave him treasure when he was first born. There was something significant about Jesus right from the start. As soon as he was born, that he was worth coming and devoting everything to. A little bit later, John the Baptist, who came before Jesus and he was telling people about who Jesus was and all this stuff, he sees Jesus one day walking. And this is, this is what the Bible says. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that's the verse I was reading yesterday morning in my quiet time that shocked me. Imagine this. Imagine if Patrick's walking down the subcode and somebody says, Well, oh, there's Patrick. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's a, that's a pretty big statement. And, and contrast that with the issue of sin in the Jewish culture. These guys, they had to, to sacrifice daily for sins. They had to go to some priest, and it cost them money. Seriously, every time they sinned, they're going, I mean, they're having to buy sheep and doves and all these things and sacrifice those. So their sin was very costly. And they were looking forward to the time when a Messiah would come and save them from that sin. And now here's John saying to a couple guys standing with him, there's the guy that's going to take away the sin of the entire world. I mean, just seeing him. There he is. Imagine those two guys. Well, we have their response right here. So Philip is one of the guys that John was talking to. And it says a few verses later that once he meets Jesus, he goes to tell Nathaniel and he says, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel replied, this is a few verses later, the second part. At first, Nathaniel's like, I don't know about that. I need to see him for myself. He's saying, this is the Messiah. We found him. For thousands of years, this has been prophesied. Now we found him. Nathaniel goes, he sees Jesus. Jesus says one sentence to the guy. I mean, he doesn't even spend that much time with him. And Nathaniel's response, teacher, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Isn't that amazing? The second he sees him, the second he hears one sentence from Jesus, he goes, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. 
In that same chapter, Andrew saw Jesus. He went back to his brother Simon and said, We have found the Messiah. We found him. Come follow me, Jesus said. We, we, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. He was calling his disciples and we talked about how significant that was. And, and he said, And I will make you fishers of men. And this is what's so neat. At once they left their nets and followed him. Now, Amy, your mom is a speech therapist, right? Aubrey and Austin, your dad is a, like a vice president or president of some company. Senior vice president of some com- a big company. Okay, imagine take your job or your parents' job or take the job that you want to have when you get out of college and imagine Jesus comes up and he says, come and follow me. And immediately you're like, okay, senior vice president job, see you later, I'm following Jesus. That's pretty big, right? That's how it was for these guys, right? They were career fishermen. The second they met Jesus, they left their careers to follow him. That's big. It's not something small. It's pretty amazing. And they did it because there was something so amazing about him. They encountered him, and it was life-changing to the point where they were willing to walk away from everything that they knew and follow him. Now, there's a certain ruler, the Bible says. He happened to be a man of great wealth. It says a few verses later in verse 23. This is in Luke 18, 18. And this, so this guy, again, he has everything going for him. He's wealthy, he's rich, he's a ruler, he has power, and he comes to Jesus. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So even the wealthiest, most influential people in society were coming to him to ask life's most important questions. Beyond that, there was Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he was a religious guy. And he, so you'd think that this guy kind of knew God and knew all about God. He came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to be saved? So even the religious figures at that time were saying, Jesus, you have the answers that no religion could ever supply. And this is just kind of a note that I want to make. It doesn't matter if you've grown up in church your whole life or if you've hated church your whole life. Either way, Jesus is the only one that has the answers. Church doesn't have the answers and not church doesn't have the answers. It doesn't matter. Either way, Jesus alone has the answers. In Matthew 8, 5, there is an officer who has a sick servant, and he says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Imagine that faith. He knew that there was something so amazing about Jesus that all Jesus had to do was speak the word, and his servant would be healed. Again, the power of prayer is pretty amazing. But blind people came to Jesus. Deaf people came to Jesus. Crippled people, sick people, even dead people came to Jesus. Because an encounter with him healed us. It gave us life. See, his just being around him alone produced all those things. So people were drawn to him from every single direction. In Matthew 5, 27-28, this is another neat story. There's a woman who had been having a serious medical problem for 12 years. She'd been bleeding uncontrollably. She's, the Bible says she'd spent every single penny she owned on doctors with no relief. I mean, she was in serious trouble. And she had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched the fringe of his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his clothing, I will be healed. She knew, man, if I can even just touch his clothes, I'm going to be healed. Is that starting to paint a picture of how significant he was? That every single person that encountered him knew he's different than anybody else that's ever walked this planet. And I need to have an encounter with him. I need to connect with him. I need to meet with him. In Mark 2, 4... There are some friends that have a friend that is a paralytic. And they are so convinced that Jesus can heal this guy that they decide to dig through somebody's roof. Imagine you're sitting in your house and somebody's hacking away at your roof trying to get through. That's a big deal. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's really expensive. Why would they do something like that? Why would they go destroy somebody else's property? 
They're doing it because they were not going to let anything stop them from getting to Jesus so that he could heal their friend. They knew that their friend needed an encounter with Jesus. And they were willing to do anything to make that encounter possible to get him to Jesus. So when Jesus finished saying these things, Matthew 7, 28-29, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus had thousands of people coming to him, crowds, 4,000 at a time, 5,000 at a time. Before there was mass transportation, right? That, that's a big deal. It'd be a big deal to get 5,000 people together at one time now. But imagine you don't have any buses, any cars, none of that. They all have to walk. And they're all saying, he has authority like nobody else we've ever spoken with, like nobody else we've ever heard. He has authority like nobody else that we've ever seen. In John 4, 28 through 29, and then 42, Jesus is meeting a woman at this well. The Bible says, picking up at verse 28, it says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? So Jesus is just talking with her for a few minutes. That encounter is so amazing to her that she goes back to her town and says, this could actually be the Messiah. This could be the Christ that we've all been waiting for. This is a few few verses later. They came out and met Jesus. At first they were interested in him because of what had happened in her life. But then after hearing him, they said this. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So an entire city, they hear Jesus one time, and they say, yep, he's the Savior of the world, guaranteed. Everybody that heard him, everybody that saw him, came to the same conclusion. That's who he was. In fact, this is one of the funniest stories. This next verse, the Pharisees are starting to get jealous, you can see, because people are so drawn to Jesus. And so, after a while, they said, hey, we're gonna, we need to get some guards together to go arrest this guy. So they sent him out to arrest him. And the guards come back empty-handed without Jesus. And the Pharisees say, what happened, guys? Imagine, you know, your boss gives you a direct order, and you come back, and you're like, didn't do it, you know? And their boss is going, okay, guys, why didn't you arrest him? And they say, no one ever spoke the way this man does. (laughs) The next verse, they say, so he's deceived you also, right? See, even these guards that were sent to arrest Jesus, they couldn't even arrest him. Because just his words alone were so powerful that it captivated them. And it drew them to himself to a point where they could not arrest him and bring him in. Because there was something about that encounter that was so significant that they could not turn away from him. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. So the whole city starts to hear that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. So a huge crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Now imagine, Susanna, you're just walking down to Durango, and all of a sudden you get to Main Street, and it's lined with like every single inhabitant of the town. And they're saying, Praise God! Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Durango. I mean, that's a pretty serious... That would be a big deal, right? What I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to drive home here, guys, is Jesus was not normal in a good way. Everybody that encountered him was shocked, amazed, and in complete awe to the point where a whole city would go out to say, this is God, this is our king, praise him, praise him. The whole city was coming out to say that. Shortly after this, most of you know about a week later, Jesus was arrested to to be crucified. When they came to arrest him, this is amazing, they have all these guards coming to arrest Jesus. 
And they say, which one of you is Jesus, right? And he says, I am he in John 18, 6. The second he said that, they all fell backward to the ground. Imagine that. Just seeing him and hearing his voice knocks them off their feet. Imagine the power in Jesus Christ. The power that he, he's so influential and such an amazing individual that you can't even stand on your feet in his presence. It knocks you to the ground. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Completely powerful. To the point where after he's being tried, and Pilate has tried him. And this, this is a serious situation for Pilate. We read today, he could not get into any more trouble. The Romans didn't have enough soldiers to put in every single city. And so they wanted Pilate to keep peace there without a whole lot of soldiers. So his job was not to let anything get unruly or out of peace. And so they bring him Jesus, and he has this incredibly hard situation. He investigates Jesus, and he comes to the conclusion that he is the king of Israel. He says like three different times, this is your king. And he didn't say it facetiously. He's saying it honestly. He believes this. He's saying, this is your king. Do you want to crucify your king? And they're saying, crucify him, crucify him. Right? So Pilate, finally, he gives in because his whole job is at stake. He doesn't want to get in trouble with the Roman authorities that are over him. So he gives in. He says, okay, I will let you crucify Jesus. But he does it under one condition. He had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. This is in John 19, 19, and then 21 and 22. And it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. So they said, Look, don't write that he was the king of the Jews. Just write that he was saying that. And Pilate's like, No way. That's what I wrote. Because he, after just a short time with Jesus came to the conclusion he was the king. He was the king. In Luke 23, 41-42, there is a thief that's on the cross right next to Jesus. And there's another thief on the other side. And the one thief is ridiculing him. And the, the second thief, he says, we deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. How did that guy know that, you guys? Any clue? I mean, he's been nailed to a cross next to Jesus for a few minutes at this point. He doesn't know him from Adam. He doesn't know Jesus from anywhere. Just looking at Jesus, he knew, this man's perfect. He's done nothing wrong. He is perfect. He says, he has not done anything wrong. And then he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. So even at that point, the sinner says, look, he's perfect, I'm not, and I need his salvation he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I need your salvation. And I wanted to kind of mention that as you think about an encounter with Christ, if you've never come to this point of saying, I need Jesus in my life, ask him tonight to forgive you, to come into your life and to change you. And he promises that he will. And if you want to talk more about that, talk to Riley after the meeting. He'd love to talk to you. So would I. But anyway, so even this thief on the cross is saying, just looking at Jesus, he's everything. And I need him desperately in my life. After Jesus died, there's a centurion that watched what happened. Luke 23, 47. And he praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Crucifixion was possibly the most terrible way to die. It was the most humiliating way to die. And not many righteous people were crucified. It was murderers and a lot worse, right, that were crucified. And one of the guards there said, this was a righteous man. Just looking at Jesus. He knew that there was something different about Jesus. Now the last verse that I want to close with, or the last short passage, it's in Luke 10, 38-42. And it kind of crystallizes for me this idea of encountering Christ and coming to Christ and connecting with Christ. 
As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed them into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. So Mary is sitting there, encountering Jesus, connecting with Jesus, communicating with Jesus, listening to him, talking with him. He is, she is sitting there, enjoying Christ, right, for who he is. And listen to what her sister says. But Martha was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. How many of you guys ever get busy, get tied down with all that's happening in life, and forget to just simply enjoy Christ, and to connect with Christ, and to come near to Christ, to have that incredible encounter with Christ? Well, that's what was going on here. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are so upset over these details. There is really only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and I won't take it away from her. And that's kind of the culmination of all this about encountering Jesus. The amazingness of Christ. The person that, that affected that kind of a response from every single person he encountered, he's available to meet with me and you every second of every day. And sometimes I lose the magnificence of that. I, I forget how awesome that is. And that every true joy in life comes out of that. And here Jesus says Mary's discovered that. Mary's discovered that treasure of simply encountering me, of simply connecting with me. And he says, and I'm not going to take it away from her. So wherever you're at in your walk with God tonight, I would encourage you to have that encounter with Christ daily where you connect with Him and let Him energize every single other aspect of your life. 